Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. Despite only making her TV acting debut at the age of 38, Sue Johnston has become a familiar screen presence in dramas as diverse as Inspector Morse, Petty Wainthrop, Goodbye Cruel World and, of course, as Barbara on BBC's critically acclaimed and much-loved series The Royal Family. But it was her groundbreaking portrayal of Sheila Grant in Channel 4's Brookside that established her as an actress of devastating strength and sensitivity. Broadcast on the very first day of Channel 4, Brookside would often attract more than 9 million viewers an episode and was never afraid to tackle the socially challenging issues of the day. I caught up with her to talk about it earlier this year. So my guest this week is Sue Johnston, and we'll be talking about Sheila Grant from the groundbreaking show Brookside. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Very and good. How, how's this year been for you, by the way? How's uh, lockdown been? It's been mixed. Um, I love reading, and I'm quite good on my own. So there were times when it was okay, and then there were times when I was sick of the sight of my own, and my head would be thinking too much and not able to sleep. I think the same as most people. But well, I think I, would, I, found, I think I was very lucky. I've got a nice house to be in, nice garden and the dogs. And so all I could think of was the poor people in flats without uh, gardens or balconies. And I, I still don't know how they got through it. Oh, and also homeschooling, stuff like that. I was so glad that... Um, to be on that age where I had to sort of sit down with them and try to teach them algebra. That was never going to be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Brookside. Because, not you know, not only was this... Uh, people forget there wasn't just a new show. It was a whole new channel, wasn't it? It was a whole new channel. It was the first night of Channel 4. I think it was... Um, there was one programme on before Countdown. Mm-hmm. And there were no adverts the first night it went out. So we all we were all meet we all met in a club to have a party and they put it on the screen for us. And there was countdown and then this long blackout. <laughs> <laughs> and then Brookside. Right. And a blackout. Um, but it was wonderful to be in the beginning. I, I think that's why I feel so fond of Channel Four, because they were so proud of the show and they backed us enormously. And there were enormous risks and bang we set right off at the start in trouble with language yeah. people complained and then we had to do reshooting because of the language and had we had to find words like frigging yeah. um, came into fashion but it was <laughs> it was what i remember most as well was that you have a schedule every day to film and then about an hour in another schedule had come that's we're not doing that anymore. Ten minutes later, no, we're not doing that. So you'd have, I've still got these schedules, these like a schedule of a day which went on forever. <laughs> um, because most of us and the crew were all trainees that um, Phil Redmond had taken that government grant that came in uh, to train people. 
So he had really excellent uh, firsts and uh, DOPs, Director of Photography. And, but all the rest had no experience whatsoever. So we were all learning on the ground uh, fast. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd only done three episodes of Coronation Street, but that was multi-camera. The rest of my career was at theatre by then. So, I don't, Ricky had done a film, but most of us were new in front of a camera, especially single camera. So it was. Well, how, did you, how did you hear about the job? How did you hear that it was happening? And tell me through, tell me a little bit through the uh, rehearsal, the uh, audition process. Okay, I mean, well, I'd been, as I said, just worked in theatre and hadn't really, I wasn't that interested in telly and there weren't as many programs around in those days, but I was a single parent. And when my child got to be three and a half, I started worrying about being away in rep theater hours with a small child. So I thought I'd get an agent. So I, I'd done quite a lot of work in the theaters in Manchester. So um, I rang up a casting director and she recommended an agent. And they took me on, and straight away I went for an audition for Coronation Street. And I I was doing that when I, the agent rang up and said, there's a new soap being made in Liverpool. Are you interested in going over? So I said yes. Um, and I went. And the, the first interview, because there were many, the first interview was in um, Matthew Street, where the old cavern used to be, just down the left. It was actually in the Liverpool Playhouse rehearsal rooms, and they'd taken rooms in there. A place you knew quite well, then. A place I knew very well. I knew my way to Matthew Street. (laughs) And um, Phil Redmond was there, and casting director, but I can't remember who else. And they talked at that interview, and they talked about what I'd done, and I was quite um, a feisty little lefty (laughs) in my youth. And... uh, he kept challenging things politically, which I kept coming back at. Um, I had no nerves. It was because uh, I, I didn't really get it, mm. which was really good for me, actually, because he saw, Sheila, he saw Sheila Grant in how I was responding. Um, he wanted somebody like that. So you didn't feel intimidated by the fact that, you know, he'd done Grange Hill, he was, a, he, was, he was quite an established producer, although he was young, he'd done quite a lot of stuff, but you didn't feel any intimidation about that? I'd never watched Grange Hill. <laughs> I wasn't a great telly person in those days. Um, I was too busy working in the hours we worked in theatre. You're not really up for telly, and we didn't have catch-up or anything like that. So I, I didn't... So I wonder, I thought... I thought he was rather gorgeous, actually. Um, I was thinking, Paul, you're all right. Bit of aura. (laughs) (laughs) He was very attractive. And um, I got through that round. And the next interview was on the site at Brookside, which was still being finished off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for those who don't know, Phil Redmond built a cul-de-sac. And uh, it, it wasn't a studio, it was a proper, they were purpose built houses, they were uh, houses, everything. So that in future he could sell them off, which he did. Good thinking. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I arrived and went into the first house, which was reception. And uh, we were all taken to a room, sat there, these different people. Then Ricky burst in, who I didn't know, and seemed to know everybody. Hello, Queen. Hi, Queen. Oh, Queen. Oh, don't know you. <laughs> I can still see him now, that presence coming in. And then we were taken across this unmade road into a house, which was the Grant's house, and put with a couple, there's Ricky and myself and a couple of, and uh, three other teenagers. Mm-hmm. And then we did some reading, uh, and then they swapped us. And another guy came in as Bobby. And um, and then he came back. And then it was Joe McGann uh-huh. uh, and Simon O'Brien and Sheila O'Hara, the rest of us. And we were doing this impro around the table and they were filming it. And then suddenly voices came down. Just hold on a minute. Phil came down and went, you're our family. You're our grant family. And we went, yippee. And we still didn't really get it, what this whole thing 
was about. Because mm-hmm. um, you can smell. You knew it was going to be a new soap on a new oh, channel. Yes. New soap. I remember Amanda Burton and I going into Liverpool shopping one day and going, do you think, do you think we're going to be famous? Do you think? Do you think we're going to be able to go shopping and in the changing room and take our clothes off with other women? Um, and we couldn't quite grasp what it might be like. I'd seen what it was like for Coronation Street people and how people, you know, went mad if they saw any of them out and about. But I hadn't the slightest idea whether that would happen for us. And did you have any apprehension around that idea about the concept that you suddenly might be giving up something? Well, I think, I, I don't know. I think it was, that's all. We just sort of questioned it and thought, I wonder what that would be like, but not in a bad way, because actually to get a telly job was, <laughs> was worth it. Um, it was, and it was great for me because I was living in Rochdale then with my son and it wasn't far from my parents, and it meant that I could be at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to move eventually because it was too far to keep driving. Um, but yeah, it, it solved because I was thinking of giving up acting at that point because I thought I don't know how to be an actor and be a single parent. I didn't know how that I could hold. Mm-hmm together really and it, and it it isn't easy as any of us know even if you're in a relationship it isn't easy but um i just it was like manna from heaven for me and what did you know about the concept of the show i mean at phil was there a bible did you know about the other families did you know what, what did you know about say the first uh, couple of months of your uh, your Filming. What did you know about the story that was you were about to do? Uh, well, we had a, a meeting with everyone, so we met everyone, and he explained. And his thing was that at that time in history, people would live in a close who came. You know, like usually you have a street of people all like-minded. That's all oh, same jobs, same sort of affluence. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas what was happening, these houses were being built, people were on the up and some people were on the down. And this was his way of looking at that cross-section of people that, um, like we were on the up because we'd left our council house and got a mortgage and a nice, what we thought was a palace. Mm -hmm. Whereas Jim, and I can't remember his wife's name, it's a long time ago, (laughs) they were on the, they were, they were downsizing. Yeah. Uh, Amanda's character was a young accountant and her husband, and they were aspiring upwards. Um, so it was full of that sort of... So those the real mixture of society, was Mixture of... Thank you, I wish I could have said that. Yes. <laughs> but how did the process work? I mean, where did it feel like you talked about the call sheets and how they changed and how the day changed? But, you know, that first day of going to work, your first family, I mean, before you even get in front of the camera, are you and the family sitting down? Are you talking about your backstory? Are you talking about what's happened to you before? Are you are you working as actors to work as a family or are you just jumping straight into the pond? Jumping straight in, really. really? Yeah. Um, it's strange because I, I don't remember. To, I remember arriving the first day. It's funny, the things you that stick in your memory. I mean, the houses at the end of the row where Grants lived was makeup and wardrobe. So all the houses that weren't being used were uh, mm. in use for production at that time. And the edit was upstairs from makeup. So everything was done. Later, they bought more houses. Um, and I, I sort of... My memory is really is that we were just chucked in, and but we had we had run through a quick run through because of cameras and working it out and slight rehearsals. But you know what it's like: the camera shots are more important than us. But um, and we'd run through our lines together, and but there was no deep talk about 
where we come, we knew that we lived on an estate, and that was, and that uh, Jim's, uh, Bobby's character, <laughs> I shouldn't work with him anymore. No. <laughs> Bobby's character was a um, big trade unionist and lefty, and uh, so he was the major influence in the family, and the, the kids were up, well, the first thing that happened, we'd done a day's filming, when equity arrived, and that, then you had to have an equity card. Now, equity had given them so many cards for the youngsters, so they could have so many, I think, five new actors. Uh, and Joe McGann only had a musician's union card when he was playing Barry. And uh, they wouldn't let him. Oh, no. They wouldn't give him a card. So we'd done a dose filming, we had to go... The grants had to stop, change schedule. And that's when Paul, is that when Paul came in then? And then, yeah, I can remember we were interviewing him. Uh, we were interviewing Barris with me and Ricky and Phil Redmond so they, they could improvise with us. And I went into the canteen, which was next door, and saw this rather gorgeous... <laughs> <laughs> what am I like? I was like a sex maniac. <laughs> um, boy, and I went back and said to Phil Redmond, I've seen Barry, want him. But he was, he was brilliant and he, well, the whole family were, I think, a great cast. And Barry, I mean, he had that magnetism behind the camera. Yeah. And also cool because he was a musician and he didn't really give a toss. So then did you have to go back and film the stuff you'd already filmed with Joe? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, well, we were always doing that. We were always going back and filming stuff because some, somebody had complained about something. And the language bit, uh, we had to reshoot as well. But I don't know. You just take that in your stride, do you? I mean, it's not something... Get on with it, yeah, yeah. And we were all very excited because it was new and... Nobody, we started to realise that we might have got something here that was very different. Um, but there must have been a period when you were filming it before it had gone out. So there's been, how much, how many episodes or how much did you have in the can before it went to screen? About, I think we started in May or June and we, it went out beginning of November. Okay, so there's quite a bit <laughs> so there. rehearsed and worked and got used to the cameras and the things, so... And then we started shooting with the delays, but yeah, we were on we were on target really. We'd had a couple of months. So there must have been a bit where you were filming in a, a sort of lovely bubble because nobody had seen it and you were able to do it and you were sort of and then there must have been a real apprehension to the launch of the channel. I mean, how was that? That must have been very sort of exciting, but also apprehension. Well, we yes. It, it was all those things. Um, I, I think we, we started to, you, we really lose faith, don't you, for a bit, and you start questioning and thinking, is this good enough? Is it, uh, I, I thought it was terrific because I love my family who I was working mostly with, and, uh, and Ricky was so raw and exciting. I mean, I'd, I'd never worked with anyone like him before because, you know, I'd worked with, he wasn't a trained actor. When you're doing that type of stuff, it sounds like the biggest method acting go. Uh, you know, I've heard when you and you and Ricky are going for it in those scenes. How do you prepare yourself, and how do you look after yourself? Just how does Sue look after herself in those scenes? Do you know? I think in those days, um, God, how old, I was thirty-eight, I think, when I started that. I think. I was so tough and full of life. <laughs> and I've always loved my work, my job, and I've had a good career. I've worked a lot, so I'm, uh, I'm very lucky. But I think I didn't care. I, I don't remember thinking, how am I going to... The only way I could prepare myself was to say to Ken, can we make sure we only have to do this once? So I was prepared in that, but... When we had these big fighting scenes, I used to uh, 
I used, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I think you lost sight of the acting. In a way, I suppose it, it wasn't, you became unaware of your, you, did, you lost that eye, you know, where you use, I suppose it's being a bit out of control, if you like, because you lost that eye, you know, that little eye you have where you're watching yourself perform and you say, don't do that, do this. I, I can't remember most of the time on Brookside, I just turned into Sheila. I mean, I think that's why the show really had such an impact, certainly on me, you know, because we'd seen soaps, we knew what the other, and, and soaps like Coronation Street really did deal with big issues and and really had great actors in them, I thought, and, and sort of great actresses, actually. You know, the storylines oh. in Coronation Street for the, for the women, I, I've always thought was amazing. But when Brookside came along, it was something different. A, even the set was different, you know, because it was in a real, you knew they weren't in a studio. You knew they were in real houses and they were houses that were being thrown up all over Britain at that time. You know, I I grew up on an estate like that. So, you know, I knew it. So, but you all felt so real. It felt very raw. And, And what you were saying about before about the crew as well, there seemed like this energy around the whole place the fact that their editing suite is there the makeup is there you know you're all together in this cul-de-sac and you're all creating and it seems such a a, a really a it's fun and it's exciting but there's a seriousness behind it and, and a sort of revolution going on did you feel that very much very much so and it's funny with the crew because we were all there and they were we were all learning together we became incredibly close which made you you trusted where you were. You felt free to be able to take risks and you were encouraged to take risks. And, um, and so you could just go that extra mile because we all felt we were going that extra mile. Um, because, oh, and the, we, it was the crew were our mates, you know, we were all just like a company, um, which I found really exciting, you know, that we were all, it was that. And it's, it's, it's a fair to say in those well, early days, though, that you, you sort of, you yourself got to know Sheila on the hoof, as it was, as, as yeah. you were going. So, yeah. and everybody else did. And, and, and then is there a, there's a place where you're protecting your character. Are you able to inter- talk to Jimmy and the other writers and Phil? Are you able to mould what's happening with your character as well? Yes, I think so. And also because um, I think what, what, how I performed and what we all performed in that was instinctive. You know, it was, it was like there was no, uh, <laughs> what, where do I come from? Where am I going? All that. It was just, there was a freedom about it that it was all instinctive. And I think because it cast us um, like a part that I, knew, I knew this woman, I could be this woman, I knew where she was coming from. It was a joy in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, yeah, they talked to you and they, I, Colin McEwen was the producer at that point. And they'd call us in and talk about where the character was going, where they'd like to push it. I remember Phil calling me in one day and he said, I don't know what your feelings are about this, but we, the writers, would like to have Sheila Grant raped. Um, And they were very keen to have my input about that. What they didn't know was that I'd been severely attacked when I was 27. And I'd never really talked about it, never told my parents. It was, I couldn't, I don't know, couldn't talk about it, except to the friends who were around at the time, in London, Mm -hmm. when I was in London. And so... I talked about that experience with them. It really helped. It was the only thing that didn't help was I was attacked. The guy came running from behind and grabbed my throat to try and drag me out. And they were doing the same with Sheila. They had him running. And that I was so scared of that at that moment because I thought, will I forget that I'm acting? and lose control because I'll be back in that other space. That's, that's what I was really scared about. But it was um, a really important and sensitively done storyline. And I wanted to ask you about that in the sense that I, you know, 
you've spoken about that since uh, about the fact that it happened to you personally mm-hmm. when when you're doing the storylines of that are you also able to say with the directors of each episode because also the directors change though they are do people look to you are they looking to sue for the direction in something like that obviously there's the writing but are you the main conduit of truth in in on the set on the set in that point you know can, can you say look i you're asking me to do this and it's wrong. I need to be, oh, I need to be doing this or I need to be doing that. Can you walk away from a scene going, I know I've done that well, you know? I think I can't, to be honest, David, I can't remember, but I think there must have been a lot of trust going on because I've, during that whole episode of uh, that storyline, I felt very safe and I felt safe because I told them about my story and they were aware and therefore they were very very sensitive about are you okay but as part, and all they did was tell me where to walk what would happen and then it's up to you yeah. so a lot of a lot of it was very much you were very much given us quite a lot of freedom uh to to play with um it was in a way, I don't think I don't know that I've had it since. You, know, it wasn't over-directed, is what I mean. A lot yeah. of it wasn't. Um, they trusted the actors to go for it, and we used to bloody go for it. Sorry. I, well, no, we can say that. Can we? can we say that? <laughs> but also, there's another thing, isn't there? That you know, I'm sure there are days on the set when everyone's having a laugh, when everyone's fine, everybody knows what it's about, you know. And then there's other days when you need a different level of concentration from the crew. Yeah. Is that just naturally happening? Or do you have to say, hey, guys, you know, today I need you a bit more. For, or do just people just pick up on it? Do they read the pages that they see? Are people, where does that sensitivity come from? Do you just allow that to happen? Or do you step in and ask for it? No, it it, it always happened. Don't know how. You know what scousers are like. We laugh at the jokes coming a mile a minute uh, but no when they when they when we used to go they were so serious uh, the input from the crew was so extraordinary I think that's why we were so close and I think it's to do with that we were all learning together mm. um, and we all wanted it to succeed we wanted it to we were proud of it and then occasionally it would get difficult and I think this was laterally, like after a few years, we'd have a new director or, and, you know, you'd go through and you'd think, no, we don't want this. Oh, no. Would you, voice that? would you be able to voice that or would you well, just get on with it? It was a bit difficult because you didn't want to, I suppose it would be too arrogant to say, we can't do it. You know, you started knowing too much and you sort of thought you've got to give them a chance, you know, they've got to direct. But sometimes it was a bit tough and I'm sure they found it tough to walk in to a group of actors who were new, their characters and this, that and the other. We've, there's been a few times when we've not been very nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been on long running TV shows and with multiple directors and there is a point where you think, I've got to let this person have it. But there's another bit where you go, this this just isn't in the spirit of what we've been doing before you got here. I just need to... And it's how you negotiate that and talk about that. But it is a difficult one, I think. But, uh, you know, you, you hope that you're polite and you hope that you can also be brave, you know, and do yes. what people are asking. Yes, and also, yes, sometimes, you know, you'd think, oh, Rick would say, oh, I don't know about this one, oh, dear, and... And then you'd learn something different because they brought something fresh and new. And by that time, you're hobbling along thinking you were God's gift and it was all hunky-dory. And then suddenly they'll come in and, and you go excited again because this new director had new, a fresh look. And so it was good for us as well to have that because you do get a bit... Um, self-satisfied if you're not careful you know yeah, you need but you need new fresh eyes i think you need fresh eyes you need people to push you and you need to be open to that thing of listen i want to i want to go to work today i want someone to you know grab yes. me and shake me yes, a little absolutely time. yeah yeah now you say about you know 
it was great casting. They wanted you. They'd done an interview. They cast you in the. But she she isn't you, is she? I mean, there's there's that thing of learning about her on the hoof. I mean, that you know, her faith, for instance, is something that was very very. And part of the clash between her and Bobby was her real real faith and and you know and some of the storylines brought her into clashes with him i mean was there a person or people that you had in your mind that were, were like her in a way was she a, obviously there's a lot of you in her but there was was there other people from your past and your friendships that you you drew on well i, I suppose there were lots of people i knew who were very i'm not very religious although i was brought up um, a Protestant had to go to Sunday, like we all did in those days, got Sunday school in the morning, you know, church, everything. But I knew so many people who were that religious and not, not probably not as many people who were a Roman Catholic, but a lot of people and a lot of friends at school were very Catholic. Religion was uh, in those, in the 50s, when I was growing up, 40s and 50s, were, was fundamental. Um, and, you know, that whole product, I remember when, before I went to drama school, I worked in the tax office in Liverpool. And, you know, the Orange Lodge still used to march up the street and the blokes in the office would be throwing all sorts of stuff at them. And the divide of, uh, you know, it reached its horrible peak in Northern Ireland. But you could see how entrenched we were in those days. Um, Thank God it didn't get that far, but people were. I mean, my, my granny had 14 kids and my mum was courting. And this boy's mother, when she found out that uh, my mother was one of 14, said, she's a bloody Catholic, you can't go with her. You know, people, it was, there's a lot of bigotry. So I was very well aware of religion and how important it was in life. And although... And I rather loved delving into that part of Sheila about her faith and what strength it gave her. It played a great, a real part for her with the rape, wasn't it? Because she was pregnant. Yeah. How did that feel for you? Did it feel right? Did it feel like the right choice that she was making for her character? I, if I'm honest, I felt that was a, a slight soapy moment. I... I I didn't like it, but I, then I couldn't separate whether it was me, Sue, who didn't was frightened, thought frightened of that. But actually, it's an it happens, so it was an extraordinary thing to investigate, um, and certainly it drove a different wedge between Sheila and Bobby, which was very interesting to play because he. Uh, didn't want to know about it. He just... A very brave choice for, for them as a, you know, and for, for you to make. I mean, just to drill down a little bit on that sense of things that Sue doesn't like and things that David doesn't like, and then your character is doing them. That's, that's a very fine line. We have to be very careful of ourselves sometimes that we don't get in the way of our characters and their choices, shouldn't we? Yes. I mean, sometimes it's very clear, isn't it, if you're playing a villainous murderer or whatever, you know, that is so extreme and such fun. <laughs> but if you play in close to type, which I often do, it does become, you do have to work out. I'd never really thought about it, to be honest, David, but yes, you have to be open, always open. And, and, some, and the awful thing is, sometimes you find that awfulness inside you. And you think... Where's that? <laughs> Where have I been sitting on that for so long? Where's that come from? You know, and that, you know, just spite. I mean, uh, I'm playing a character in the world. It's very spiteful and bitter. And I, but then I, could, I, I look at one of my aunties <laughs> and my mother slightly, my mother slightly. Right. Of, the, of the big family, these two women were alike and very bitter. And so I, I had that in me to recognise uh, the possibility of that. So you and can, and you can use it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want, you want to use everything, don't you? And you want, to, <laughs> you want to experience as much as you can of life so that you can bring it all to bear. And, and also, we are people watchers. You know, we're magpies mm -hmm. in that way. I mean, you know, I often... 
I'll be talking to someone for ages and I'll walk away and one of my kids will say, why were you talking to that guy for so long? I said, he was just a fascinating character. You know, I just, I just I, you know, I was stealing him as I was watching him, you know. And they were like, God, he was such an idiot. And I was like, I know, but I just had to sort of get on. <laughs> put, put him in my drawer when I get back, you know. Yeah, I know. And, and it's rather wonderful in lots of ways. Yeah. We'll be back with more chat after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time with me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. But to go back to that uh, conversation you and Amanda Burton had walking down the streets of Liverpool, it was a success. You suddenly, it did change your life. Yeah. How do you... How does Sue deal with that sudden sense of people? Because, you know, Sheila is in our living rooms. We see her go through such trauma and joy and all that sort of stuff, you know, with uh, the the Billy stuff, which was a brilliant love affair, to be honest, you know. But we see her go through lots and lots of stuff. She becomes part of our family, like a lot of soap characters do. How do you, Sue, as an actress, a professional actress, walking down the street, how do you deal with that general public demand and suddenly you know your life changing in that way i deal with it fine now because i'm mature (laughs) i and i find it and i'm not on the telly as much as soon as you're on the telly you probably notice it as soon as you've got a show on everybody notices you again and you go through it but when it first happened it was a shock and i think for all of us and well, I know it was. And I didn't like it at all. And my son, who was three, hated people coming up all the time. And he'd go, no, mummy, no, mummy, no. And push, push. <laughs> I didn't get it. And he never got it. And he never liked it. Uh, and I always had a, hus- a tussle with that fame thing, more to protect him, because I knew he didn't like it. It, it was also hard because it was so popular with teenagers who were so out of control in the main (laughs) that if I was anywhere near the shops because it was right where I lived the school was by the shops and if I mistimed it and I was there it was hell I couldn't get out the shops I'd had to be taken through shops and got out the other side it was madness Simon O'Brien became it was like a beetle (laughs) Like one of the Beatles, because he was, if if I thought it was bad for him, if we went anywhere on the charity thing, he would just be mobbed and, uh, well, we all would be mobbed. It It was just slightly from, I'd been an actor for about 20 years. I thought I was just doing my job, but this wallop, uh, a different edge comes in and I've, I did find it very difficult. And did it make you think about the job differently from then on? Did it, did it change the, your attitude towards your job? Not, no, not, I, no, not really. No, I still wanted the job, but I suddenly realised I had to grow up a bit, and this came with television. This was a new field for me. I'd only done these three episodes of Corey. Um, and so I realised I'd got to get used to it, but I found it. I found the lack of privacy very hard, and I found... The continual, I mean, I'd drive home and, pe- and cars would follow me home. And I started driving into the police station at Padgate. I was living in Warrington. So that they'd go away and, it, and they'd come to the house. And it, oh, it was that level of 
instant fame. Now I'm a job in action, I'm used to it. But then, and because it was so high profile. Um, and I guess you were all going through it at the same time. Oh, I love yes. that. I love that. The Beatles said that thing of, you know, they felt sorry for Elvis because at least they had the three other ones, you know, they could share it together. I mean, I guess yeah. you as the cast, you were all going through yes, it. Yes, all of us, yeah. And we used to be able to unload to each other. And there was, and when you got to work, you were safe, you know, security on the gate and... Uh, and you just thought... ever talked about, from a production point of view, was, was did they ever talk about... I mean, I guess there's also a secrecy thing about not telling the public what the story okay. was the happening and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you had... We were made very well aware of that with Phil, but also we had to watch the youngsters because if it was hard for us, these youngsters that were in, there were quite a few teenagers in it, and they became superstars to the kids who were watching it. And I remember one uh, becoming very involved in drugs and you know, going off and doing all sorts. And they had to step in to look after him because it, it does blow your mind. You know? <laughs> it's sort of weird um, that all these people know you. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I had a bit of that. I did one summer when I was like 18. And suddenly, you know, again, it was a Channel 4 show and it did really well. And I suddenly found myself, you know, not being able to walk down the street. So, and it was great. I mean, I have to say there was a lot of it that was wonderful. Yeah. But I did suddenly, I had in the show that I did one summer, there was a an actor who was, you know, in, in his late 30s called James Hazeldean. And he oh. said, listen, you know, you can. You need to be careful. You need if you want a career, you, and you've taken this job seriously. You need to start looking at it as a job, as a career. You know, this isn't. You're making lifestyle choices here, but you need to be concentrating on your job. Sure. He encouraged me to go to drama school, and that's what I did. So I did it the other way round to you. As I said, I, I went on telly, and then I went to drama school, and that was sort of, you know, it was a different journey. But there was a bit there where I could have easily got lost in yes. the sort of the yeah. heavy fame of it all. Yes, the celebrity of it, which yeah. which we see happening even more now. I mean, the celebrity thing is, uh, yeah. you know, you have to really watch act young actors, but most young actors, know, well, hopefully know. Mm. They want to act. They don't want to be a reality star. But, yeah, it is. it was frightening. Now, yeah, I love it. I love people... Going hi Sue, or if I'm at the match, it's Sheila or Barbara, <laughs> and it's but it's with love and people when they say it, it's with such affection that you go, you think you've Your got difference as well. I think through experience, you get you get a sort of uh, yeah. an idea of when it's okay to say yeah. hello and when it's and then uh, you know you're 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 more skilled at sort of swerving situations, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. You can't, I mean. You know, you said it before, you were a tax inspector. So you left school, you had an education, you were a tax inspector. You ended up working for Brian Epstein, didn't you? Yes, in NEMS, yeah. yeah. And, and I have to say, this big name drop coming up, Paul McCartney got me that job. Did he? Yeah, because I was great. Oh, God, I was at the cavern more than I was in the tax office. And uh, because it was just around the corner from Matthew Street, and we all used to go down. The girls there said, oh, come with us, we're going to the cavern. Didn't know what it was. And it was just, well, it was swinging blue jeans were the big ones at the cabin then, with a skiffle group. It was all skiffle. And then eventually the... You had, a little, you had a connection with the swinging blue jeans, didn't you? Yeah, I went out with the drummer for two years. Yeah, he was my first serious boyfriend. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, so then, you know, then the Beatles came on one day and I went, holy <laughs> hell. <laughs> Something in there, the music, the sound, the, and uh, John Lennon. And I was just sold. I just thought they were fantastic. But then this whole sound changed. The skiffle went, blue jeans started with them. Everyone was doing this Mersey sound, and it was the best time ever to be in Liverpool. You know, it was, and um, we used to go to all the clubs. It was just magical. 
And so, you, and I didn't want to be a tax officer anyway. I hated it. But why actress, though? Why, where did that come from? Where, where was the, the seed of that? The seed of that, David, was because of the school play. And I was the witch in the tinderbox. Good casting, this nervous. <laughs> and um, I got on that stage and I had a wonderful English teacher, Mrs. Sutton, and sadly who's dead now, but she was, she was, a, she was an English teacher. We didn't have drama teachers in those days. Uh, but she had wanted to be an actress, and she encouraged me. Uh, I got on that stage, and there was a moment, and I, I still feel it, and I know you've probably had this moment, when I went, I'm at home. Yeah. I belong here. I, I, that's the only way I can interpret it. It sounds a bit odd, but... Oh, I think that's totally how I felt. And I think a lot of actors feel that it's that moment. And I thought, I've got to do it. I have my confidence. I felt right, you know, and I was quite insecure. And uh, uh, there was no acting in your family, was there? There was nobody that you could turn to. Dad was a plumber. My mum didn't work. Uh, I had hundreds of cousins. It was a huge family. um, And my dad's family was huge. So there was always lots, but none of this huge family had any... Uh, inkling about acting or even going to the th- oh we went to the theatre we, we were taking us kids a lot to the ballet and for a working class family I thought it was rather amazing when I look back and my godmother used to take me to the Liverpool Playhouse every birthday um, so I I was aware um, but I didn't I didn't know how to join in <laughs> How did you find out how how to join in the next? Well, I left I left school before I went to university, and my dad was terribly disappointed in me uh, because I wanted to find this. I just knew I had to find this route, and uh, my uncle was a tax inspector, and he he suggested the tax office. (laughs) Why? Why? And I don't know how that. I thought if I got a job, I could perhaps be an amateur actress. And, or my dad suggested that, I think. Why don't you just get a good job and be an amateur actress? So I thought, okay, okay. So, um, but this job led me to the Liverpool Sound. But while I was there as well, I went to the Liverpool Institute at night school uh, for drama. And that we, we formed a little group and we used to go around to old people's homes thinking, getting to know you. <laughs> Doing these terrible sketches, these poor old people trapped. Um, but there was a girl there who'd once applied to a drama school and, and it was called Weber Douglas. And I went, oh, right. Because I'd only ever heard of RADA. But then I got all... I got with Norman in the Doogies and I got into all this rock and roll. And, and touring with the Stones. <laughs> touring with the Stones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, and working at NEMS was so exciting. But then when they all went to London and Norman and I finished, I suddenly, there was nothing suddenly. And I didn't want to stay at NEMS without all this hoo-ha, couldn't go to London with them. So I thought, right now, you better get on with the acting bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pilkington's in St. Helens had built a theatre. Um, so my dad said again, why don't you get a job at Pilk's and then you can join the amateurs? And I thought, I'll do that. So I went to Pilk's and I got a job in welfare uh, with the old people. And, uh, and I did join the amateurs. And the first... Again, timing. Sometimes you don't know how it happens when timing just works for you. I, I went first day, they were casting Pool's Paradise. It's a comedy, um, a farce. And I got cast as a little Cockney maid. And it was right up my street. And I got all these rave reviews in the local papers and the Echo and St. Helens Guardian. And I just... Absolutely loved it. Loved it. We do matinees and the old people come in, they go, there she is. Oh, oh Susan. 
<laughs> it was insane. And uh, but Duncan Weldon, who was very young then, and uh, he had a theatre group. Theatre producer, and, yeah. And uh, he was taking the theatre for a couple of months and bringing rap into it. And he saw me. At, not, I've done, I don't know which play it was. He saw me in there. I did about three. I did Diary of Anne. Oh, no, Diary of Anne Frank was my debut. So uh, he saw me in this play and offered me acting ASM. And do you know who the other acting ASM was? Go for it, go for it. James Hazeldean. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> circle. I know. Oh, God bless him. He was my mentor. He was. Oh, too- what a lovely, lovely man. Yeah. How did it go down at, at home then when you talked to your mum and dad and said, this is the path I'm going to be taking now, the tax office is over, I'm doing this. How did they feel about that? How did they receive that news? They didn't mind because I'd got a job. Right. They didn't, I think they were worried all during the Liverpool <laughs> scene. My mother would say, you've been to the cabin again, I can smell it on your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, work was the thing. So coming, getting a good job at Pilks, and my dad was from, you know, worked in St. Helens at that point. And uh, so I think they thought that's good. And acting, they could come, they came to the play and thought it was rather good. Mm-hmm. I think that settled it for them. The worst thing that happened was that I then, because I then met actors when I was with this, you know, with James and, he was sort of like beginning like me, but he knew his path. Um, uh, and I, he, he helped me, he said, what, what you need to do is, because we did Diary Van Frank together, mm-hmm. and I was Margot Frank, so on stage all over between these bloody, lining out the floor for the rehearsals, we were all, I can remember us doing, jobbing, propping round the town, then going in and being on stage all, all the time. It's weekly rep, David, weekly rep. It was, a, it was, I thought, what am I doing? And it was like for about 50p a week or something. And I, but I'd loved every second of it. I just loved it. And so when I gave up Pilks and went with the professor, yeah, uh-huh. awful for my parents. They thought I was insane. Right. And my dad... He'd been disappointed that I didn't take advantage of going to university because he hadn't. So he was very disappointed. My mother sort of was okay-ish. She was sort of all right. She went with me when I went to London for my drama audition and my dad didn't want to know. To be an actor to him, I think, was quite close to prostitution. (laughs) It's hard. I mean, I think it is a difficult thing. If you don't know, and my my parents had no idea about the profession. They had, you know, (laughs) I might as well have said to them I was going to be an astronaut. You know, they just, and so there was a fear around it because there was the fear of the unknown and, and, you know, the the insecurity. You know, it's a a notoriously insecure profession, you know. Yes. Well, it was all that as well with my dad. So I... My mum went with me down to London to do this, I applied to Webber Douglas, because that came into my head from that, you know, you store all this information, don't you don't realise at the time, but then Webber Douglas. I didn't dare apply to RADA. I, I felt that I wasn't posh enough or good enough or whatever it is. But uh, So I thought, Webber D, oh, you have to and yeah, I got in. And what was that like? What was I it like, Webber Douglas? Was the, was the hope? Drunk wherein I dressed myself. <laughs> this Liverpool Lady Macbeth hit the stage. Right. Um, and, uh, and my other speech, my friend wrote for me. Uh, I can't even remember what it was, but she wrote it. About, oh, the bootle in people wearing clogs in bootle. Oh, oh, God, I've not thought about that for years. Anyway, I got in. And so then they, my parents had to signed the papers for permission for me to go. My dad wouldn't sign. So against it, so angry and upset. And I hated upsetting him, but... You didn't have a choice. No, I had to do it. it, Whatever it is, it gives you an amazing strength. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the power... When I think back, I thought, where did all that courage come from? And you made the right choice, you know. I mean, it was a, you look at you, you've made the right choice. You know? yeah. 
yeah. So anyway, my mother signed the papers and, uh, and they took me down to London and, and they insisted on putting me on an all-girls hostel in Earl's Court. Right, right. <laughs> Which lasted six weeks. <laughs> there was bye-bye. <laughs> I was off. <laughs> London in the 60s. Yeah, it was great. Oh, brilliant. But what was I the drama school was... like? Were you intimidated by the drama school itself about being amongst other people like that? Yeah, I found <coughs> pathetic. The accent, I still have this, David. It lives in me and I can't get rid of it. An inferiority complex. And I've still got it. You know, if I meet, well, I won't say if I meet who, but I get all tongue-tied and think, mm-hmm. well, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. Though going to see through me or it's pathetic I don't know why after all these years I have to say with a lot of you know I've been doing quite a lot of these podcasts but a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome where they feel that they're not where they belong I mean you know and and I think it's it's good for other people to hear that we all feel that we feel like that they wanted someone else and they ended up with me you know that that I shouldn't be here that there is something about and, and, and it's, it's not just class, it's to do with lots of other things as well. I think it's a lot to do with the fact as well that we put ourselves on the line to be judged. Mm-hmm. And that, whatever, that must have an effect on our psyche, mustn't it, really, that you're being judged. How do you deal with, that? How do you deal with like, reviews and stuff like that? And, and, uh, I don't read them, David, because I read them maybe months afterwards when the job's gone. <clears throat> because if it's good, particularly if you're doing a theatre piece, you you remember the bits that they've said and they become too yeah. much in your conscience. And if they're awful, then that's terrible. And so it can bring you down and affect your performance either way. So the best, I think, left unread. And what about nerves? I mean, do you still get nervous? Oh, yeah. Um not so much as I did, I have to say. I mean, I did, I did a play in the West End with Stephen Mang. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. you were great. I loved it. <laughs> and um, and uh, I didn't get nervous at all. I just felt happy to be back. And all every time I was backstage, I remembered that first time when I was at St. Helens Theatre Royal. And it was just, I don't know why I kept comparing it, because I've done loads of theatre since, but I was just so happy to be backstage. <laughs> I'm with a, a lovely group of people, um, a really lovely group of people. I love, I mean, that's the joy as well, isn't it? Yeah, the company. I think that's the the real thing I miss so much is just being in a company of actors and just, you know, performing in that way. Yeah. I mean, there's many things that we have to deal with, that we all have to deal with in the profession. And, you know, things like rejection and people saying no to us, the the personal comments, the sort of the idea that people can be, you know, can say terrible things to us and thinking that they're helping us. How have you just, is that just a question of dealing with that, getting, you know, getting more experienced about it? I mean, or do you have any techniques about that? Do you just let it go or is it still tough? No, I think, you know, I've had some awful things said to me, but directors and stuff and, uh, and the rejection, you always take it so personally and you shouldn't because, you know, there's a lot of us about, and, and I, it's like I go to Alison Stead and I say, keep getting the jobs I want. <laughs> no, you, no, you keep getting the jobs I want. There's a, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not that with George Clooney. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. Um, and you've got youth on your side, darling. Oh, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, I think it's okay when you lose a part to a friend, you feel that's fine. But it's, it is tough when you really want a part and either you don't get seen for it mm. or you don't get it in the interview and you wonder what you could have done. Then you worry, what, what could I have done? Better? I think you have to learn to just let it go. It's part of the job and you have to, you really, it's a difficult part of the job to learn, but you just do have to get over yourself yeah you do and it's it is hard i mean just looking back on the sue that walked onto that set in brookside or you know on that first day i mean 
What advice would you give to her now, you know, looking back and, and, and you being a young actress, you know, at Pilks and stuff, is there anything you would say to her that, that you, would, you wish you'd heard then? I think confidence, it would have been, don't have to be afraid, you know. Uh, but then, do you know, when I say that, I think maybe if I'd been too confident, I wouldn't have been the person I was. And the person I was made Sheila Grant accessible. And I was, I'm proud of the work I did on Brookside. It definitely, um, it got you here. I mean, I think that's... Yes, I'm you know, always grateful, you know, well, grateful, that's a strange word, but um, I was thrilled that they cast me in that and it changed my life, no question. Thank you so much for joining me today. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely Thank to you. talk to you, and I'll see you at the uh, see you at the match. I hope sometime soon. Oh, yes, I can't wait. Take care. Who am I this time? Is a Just Voices and Dulali production, produced by Simon Lenigan, music by Greg Hatwell, edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg, and presented by me, David Morrissey. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.